kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Smokey Bites the Dust, released October 1st, 1981. It was written by Max Apple, based on a story by Brian Williams, not that Brian Williams, directed by Charles B. Griffith, and released by New World Pictures. In 1976, Charles B. Griffith collaborated with Roger Corman's New World Pictures, directing Ron Howard car chase movie Eat My Dust. It was very much like this film in that it featured teenage drivers outsmarting local police and causing many car accidents. A local news broadcast blamed films like these for causing a real-life rash of reckless teen drivers, a phenomenon dubbed Car Wars by a local sheriff. As soon as the broadcast ended, Griffith's phone rang, and it was Corman demanding a script with the title Car Wars. <laughs> he was like, that's great. What he turned in was a car crash marathon film called Wham Bam Merci Madame, and Corman hated it. He dropped the project for a few years and then came back with a more specific request. He'd cut a collection of car crashes from earlier New World releases, and he needed someone to write a script to stitch the seemingly, and actually, unrelated car crashes into a cohesive story. <laughs> and actually unrelated. <laughs> okay, this is starting to, to make, make a more whole sense. bunch more sense. <laughs> yeah. Because I really was struggling with this one to understand the why anybody would spend the amount of money on these car crashes yeah. for this horrible script. Writer Max Apple was commissioned to write the screenplay, and the title that had already gone from Car Wars to Wham Bam Merci Madame became Follow That Car before the title of Griffith's earlier film, Eat My Dust, was combined with the popular Smokey and the Bandit films to become Smokey Bites the Dust. And I can't believe they didn't get sued for this. Well, I mean, I assume that the reason they didn't use Car Wars was because they thought they might get in trouble for it. But, like, I think this is a far more blatant ripoff. Yeah. Because this is something that I think could very logically be confused for a new film in this series. I, yeah. although I'm pretty sure you've told me it wasn't previously, did not know it was unrelated to the series yeah. until I was watching it. And I'm like, there's literally no... Like, I thought, I'm like, oh, well, maybe this is... Maybe a this prequel. Is, yeah, this is Bandit in High School. But I'm like, none of these That's, names... It's played exactly like it were a Bandit in High School film. Like, this is where that character came from. And he hassled his local sheriff for a long time. it's not the same time. name. Right, exactly. He has a different name. It has no characters in common. Yeah. But if they'd have gotten the rights at the last second, they could have very easily just made this a Smokey and the Bandit prequel film. Yeah. We start with a police car rolling down the street under a Jaws sound-alike score. The sheriff and another police cruiser are hiding out waiting for a notorious speeder. The sheriff flips his visor down to reveal a straw for a hanging whiskey bottle, and we get a little Irish fife tune to accompany his drinking. I did not realize that that's what that was. I'm just like, why does the sheriff have to use the breathalyzer to start his car? <laughs> well, that's a thing. I don't think they had him. I don't. Yeah, in I was like, mobile it's, it's not historically time. accurate. <laughs> yeah. He tells his fellow officers that anybody who fails to catch this kid will go two years without pay. Which I'm pretty sure you can't just yeah not pay someone for two years when they just quit their job. I think that's called indentured servitude. Yeah. The camera zooms through the sheriff's back window to reveal a kid in a car behind him who jumps on the CB to let us know just how annoying this movie will be right away. Hey, Smokey. <laughs> Adios, pork roast. <laughs> the kid skids away and the sheriff gives chase. The kid and cop flip Yui's all over the place in this residential neighborhood under a half-assed Smokey Bites the Dust theme song. But, like, they went to the effort of recording a theme song for yeah. this character in this story. I'm starting to put together why they change cars so often. Exactly. <laughs> Even the police cars have to yeah. change counties. Yeah. 
The kid flips around again and speeds head on toward the cops until we suddenly cut away to a large-breasted woman dropping a pumpkin out of a window, and then the police car is suddenly flying through the air and landing on several parked cars as pumpkin innards splash across the street nearby. Amusingly, the very next credit is for producer Gail Ann Hurd, who I'm sure was not excited about having a credit in this one. Fun though that we just had James Cameron last week working on Galaxy of Terror from the same producer slash editor team as this film, and his future wife is a producer here. A cop helps the sheriff out of his overturned vehicle and reminds him that he should now be going two years without pay according to his own rules. The sheriff jumps into a second cruiser with a drunk in the backseat named Lester, intending to resume the pursuit, and we cut to the film's teenage protagonist, Roscoe Wilton, arriving at Ordung D. Contact High School, which is not the name of the actual high school. So what the fuck <laughs> does this mean? Yeah. That's a great question you Ordung D. Contact. Is it like... It doesn't sound like anything funny. Right. It's it, not an acronym. It's not backwards. I was going to say, it's not backwards. It's not backwards. Is it, is it like, a, like, a, like an anagram? Maybe. Maybe this is Roger Corman's name. No. I don't know what this means. Okay, Ordung wait, wait. D contact. I'm going to pull up an anagram. So sorry, say it again. O R D U N G D C O N T A C. Because there's lots of like dumb mini jokes in here with the names of things, but this one makes no sense to me and I don't get it. And when I Google this exact phrase, it only turns up this movie. I have one anagram. Okay, what do you got? Dragon conduct. Oh, fuck. <laughs> there you go. There it goes. That, that must be it. That's like, it. Or conduct dragon. I mean. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, though. all right. The cops follow his car into the lot and somehow miss the kid jumping out and changing clothes behind a nearby hook-handed bronze statue. They assume instead that he somehow managed to park and then discreetly lock himself in his own trunk as an escape plan. I got him, sir. I think he's hiding in the trunk. We cut to the stands beside the football field as a group of students, not the band, not a choir, just a group of kids, recite a spoken word poem in unison as a man conducts them with a baton. Roscoe sneaks up and takes a seat beside them. The sheriff asks who owns the car they've been chasing, and an uninvolved student proudly confesses it's his car and it will be part of the homecoming parade. The cops assume he was the one driving it and charge to arrest him. A jock from the group of students hits on the prom queen type, and the sheriff turns around to warn the kid away from his daughter. Roscoe and his friend Harold drive away from this practice, I guess, in the other kid's convertible with the top down. He brags that when he drives it in the school parade, that he'll have a clear view up the prom queen's dress as she blows kisses to the crowd from his back seat. As they drive, we see a rubber snake on a string being dragged across the road for some reason. I'm sure this was important in a different movie that it yeah. came from. A car full of boys in tuxes pull up to the sheriff's house to collect his daughter, Peggy Sue Turner, to escort her to a dance. She finishes a call with a friend before addressing them. The only reason my dad lets me go out with the quarterback is because I told him he never scores. Peggy Sue is sitting in her bedroom window upstairs, but her dad rushes out to scare the boys away. They ask for a memento at least, and she tosses down a pair of handcuffs, but the sheriff shouts them away again and snatches up the handcuffs. A kid in a van pulls up beside the jail with a set of rims for a police cruiser, and Deputy Bentley pays him with something secret in a box, but makes him promise not to use it in town. The phone rings, and the prisoner in the drunk tank says it's probably Habib calling for him. <laughs> Who are you going to laugh out of the other side of your head when Habib calls me and offers me a million clams for my formula? I left this number. Habib who? Abu Habibi Boo, that's who. He sells oil. What would he want to buy your moonshine for? So he can suppress it, dummy. You mean you'd sell out and your super fuel would just disappear? Time-honored American business practice. The second... I heard him say this phrase. I'm like, oh, I know what they're going to make this joke be later. And you were correct, you're saying? I was correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did, kind of I had, a I, I had too. no doubt in my mind the moment he said this. I'm like, oh, you're going to. Because he keeps describing the same currency for the whole film every yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys recall the last time we had a storyline about a super efficient fuel being suppressed by foreign investors so they could continue selling oil? Yes. What film was that? The formula. Oh, yeah. I guess it was in that, too. <laughs> Frog is half dead. <laughs> Before he pulls away, the kid is already using his payment, a police-strength bullhorn, to blast a siren sound and shout at Bentley as he skids off. The sheriff pulls up and asks about the siren he just heard, and Bentley pretends to have made the sound with his mouth. We cut back to the big football game, 
And the audio on the YouTube version of the movie cuts out here, but we see the coach move through the locker room and speak with the jock quarterback character. When the coach says to get his head in the game, one player repeatedly bashes his own head against a trash can. Like, that's Why? the game. Why? What? I don't get it. Why are you doing this? Back in the stands, Roscoe sneaks past a row of homecoming queens from decades past and even gives a gentle wave to the 1940 homecoming queen. The oldest queen in the row wears a sash proclaiming her the homecoming queen from 1880, which would have to make her somewhere in her hundred teens. Roscoe sits down next to Harold's mother and hands her something out of a bag as the audio comes back. We see a quick montage of some flagrant penalties on the field and an exasperated referee blowing vigorously into his whistle. I, I imagine like was, I, I was like, trying to figure out what exactly again what is the gag here yeah there's no gag it's just like a ridiculously yeah it's just a gas moment where it's just like okay let's just have we'll shoot 40 different things that i think are funny and we'll edit them one second from each thing on the sidelines roscoe points out harold's mother in the crowd she has inflated the balloon roscoe gave her and on the side it has a drawing of his face with the words harold kane number one in driver's ed for some reason harold is horribly embarrassed and stomps over to his mother, leaving Roscoe in a position to hijack the homecoming car and pick up the queen himself. So where's Harold? Um, he told me to tell you he was impotent. The quarterback pulls something out of his helmet to toss to his girlfriend, but the car doesn't stop for him, and it occurs to Harold's father in the stands, played by Dick Miller. Wait, is, is this Harold's father? The guy I, who it, sees it, the car and says, that's my car? It's whoever lent him the car because he, he later re- says that he's the only one who's insured to drive it. I think that means that the Dick Miller character is the driving instructor of the high school. Okay. But I couldn't tell if he was actually the father of Harold because he seems really invested in this car chase long after right. his car is not involved anymore. But he realizes that a stranger's driving the car and he's apoplectic. Who, who the hell? Who the hell? Who the hell is driving that goddamn, goddamn car? The sheriff realizes his daughter has also been commandeered and straight up opens fire on the car as it races off the field away from the school. At his daughter. At his daughter. And he doesn't hit the car, so he's not aiming well. He could just as easily have killed her. I think that'd be such a more interesting movie (laughs) if this daughter just got shot off of the car and died in the field as the kid drove away. Another chase ensues and the Smokey Bites the Dust theme song kicks back up. Roscoe is driving at high enough speeds that Peggy Sue moves to the front seat and begs him to slow down. The sheriff needs more deputies, so he calls the drunk back at the jail, Lester, and deputizes the man over the phone, at which point the man exits the unlocked drunk tank. And he doesn't serve a purpose beyond that point. He was deputized for no reason other than to occasionally answer the phone, I guess, but he was already doing that. I mean, he does show up in later scenes. But he doesn't do anything policemanly. There's no reason to deputize him. Yeah. Peggy Sue tries to talk Roscoe into going back to the school, and he counters by offering to take her literally anywhere except the school. Among the cars chasing them is the quarterback in a pickup truck, improvising a song about beating up Roscoe when he catches him. And then Harold and his girlfriend in a second car trying to get the first one back. I think he stole Roscoe's car to catch up with him, and they'll trade back if he catches him. Peggy Sue asks how long Roscoe is going to hold her hostage, and he says he's just waiting for Stockholm Syndrome to set in. During the chase, the cops veer around a stopped VW bug and plow through a shop on the side of the road and then tear the facade off of a Chinese restaurant set. Customers come wandering out of the demolished dining room. Peggy Sue asks them to stop so she can use a restroom in a hotel lobby. Here's another scene. (laughs) At the counter is a suspicious man in a trench coat and apparently he wants a view of all the highways. You want a view of all the highways? That's right, I want a view of all the highways. This plays into nothing. (laughs) This character barely comes back. Why did he need a view of the highways? Why does he have a briefcase? The man working the front desk is actor Angelo Rosito, and eventually he gives Peggy Sue permission to use the restroom. Apparently they don't have a community restroom, so a bellhop is woken to take them to an actual hotel room. Well, I think, okay, but there's a misunderstanding here, because I think... Yeah that he's asking the bellhop to take the gentleman that just checked in to his room. And no, that's, that's not the confusion that happens here. It's not. No, he's telling the bellhop to take them to room 102 to use the restroom there because it's not an occupied room. Okay. But but he grabs the suitcases of the man He who's grabs the suitcase in. because the guy walked away from right. his briefcase. And he saw a briefcase and he said, they, he told me to take him to a room, so this must be their suitcases. I'll take it to the room with okay. them. 
So he picks up the trench coat man's briefcase, and instead of taking them to room 102, which would presumably be on the first floor, <laughs> he takes them to an elevator and then goes up to the seventh floor. I mean, he doesn't go to the seventh floor, though. They're no. not on the seventh floor later. And there's not even seven floors to this building. Right. It's a two-story building, but they go to room 729. And Roscoe can tell immediately that the room is occupied when they go in. Peggy Sue asks if she can use the restroom, which is the whole reason they came here. Yes, you can use the restroom. That's why we came into this building. And then inside, she lifts the cover off the toilet reservoir as if she's planning on killing Roscoe for kidnapping her, even though she's been pretty... I don't think like, that's what she's doing. What is, why is she holding it like she's going to she's attack gonna someone who comes in? I assume she's going to try to smash out a window to escape. But she's standing by the door holding it up like she's going to hit someone over the head with it. And then she notices clothes hanging on the back of the bathroom door and decides to change into them randomly. Like, oh, the, what a coincidence. These fit me. I will wear <laughs> these now. Not only do these fit me, but who they belong to right. is yes. very confusing. That is a question. <laughs> When Roscoe opens the wrong briefcase, he finds it full of cash, but suddenly the trench coat man sneaks in with a gun and silently takes the money back while the bellhop is distracted doing something in the closet. I don't even know what. There is a shot here of the person in the bed and they are dressed in a full gorilla costume, but sleeping in it. They are asleep in the bed in a gorilla costume. Fully under the covers. And, and I mean, presumably a naked gorilla because the clothes are hanging on the back of the bathroom yeah. door. Like they're naked inside? The costume, or you're saying no? The I gorilla think the gorilla is not, is wearing, not clothes. wearing clothes. Do you think that the gorilla came to the hotel wearing clothes? I want to. I would like to see the gorilla in these short shorts. I think the person <laughs> wore those clothes into the hotel and then changed into the gorilla costume to sleep. For sleeping. See, I think you guys are are assuming that the gorilla costume is supposed to be a costume and not not an, an actual gorilla. gorilla. That's true. <laughs> I don't know why I assumed there was a person inside of this. <laughs> Roscoe hears Peggy Sue break a window to escape from the bathroom and lies to the bellhop that she's going to kill herself with shards from the window so that he'll hand over the keys, even though it doesn't look like this bathroom door has a keyhole in it. It's just, it's a hotel bathroom. You need to open it from the inside. Instead of just walking down the stairs like most people do leaving a hotel, Peggy Sue jumps over the railing into a passing laundry cart. Roscoe finds her the second she hops out of it, but he's not trying to hold her captive anymore. They just chat for a second, and then the bellhop offers to take pictures of them before the dance, so they pose multiple times, even though the camera's rarely pointed at them while he's taking these but pictures. But also, he just wanted them for himself. Right, like, yeah. It wasn't like, let me take he's a not, picture of the happy the couple to give it to you. Yeah. It's just like, I want this for my scrapbook. Yeah. <laughs> he takes one of his own face, one of the ground, a couple of a fence... Even though they looked friendly as they posed for the pictures, she walks away from him and sad music plays as he watches her go. The hotel manager comes to tell the bellhop that these two kids are actually kidnappers, even though one of them is allegedly kidnapping the other one. They're not both kidnappers. It doesn't make sense. There's no kid right. getting napped. The cops arrive at the hotel and Peggy Sue starts to drive away in Roscoe's car. It's not Roscoe's car, but she backs into a spot to collect him before she leaves. Hey, why'd you change your mind? I decided to like it. Terrific writing. Why would this character change their mind? No reason. Brilliant. We'll just have her say she decided to change her mind. That's why. I mean, if you, I mean, it would even have been significantly better writing. She's just like Stockholm syndrome just sunk in, or yeah. you know, just acknowledge it. Yeah. The two cops follow Peggy Sue driving away, and the jock and Harold rejoin the chase. One of the police cars is led off the road and crashes into a barn on a local farm. Roscoe pulls over at one of those self-service car washes, and Peggy Sue distracts the customer in the next stall over while Roscoe steals the man's car. Peggy Sue feels like such a rebel breaking all these laws, but is comforted to remember that she won't be arrested as long as they stay in her dad's jurisdiction of Psycho County. Roscoe points out that they left it a while ago. Deputy Bentley rolls the other police cruiser off the road, and they climb out of the upside-down wreck. The police of Nazi County show up, and the sheriff of Psycho County assumes they're here to help him, but they're here to write him a ticket instead because the neighboring town's police force are not fans of his. So, these are jokes at least. We have Psycho County and yeah. Nazi County, which are spelled C-Y-C-O for Psycho County, and K-N-O-T-T-S-I-E for Nazi County. What the fuck is dragon conduct? <laughs> I don't get it. The sheriff tries to make the point that his daughter's been kidnapped by a rapist as an excuse for leaving his own jurisdiction, but the Nazi sheriff isn't hearing it. As the cops head to the upside-down vehicle to help Bentley, the sheriff steals one of their cruisers to resume the chase. The sheriff leads the police back to Roscoe's car, 
and a helicopter joins the chase with Dick Miller, the convertible's owner in the chopper. Which, maybe he's not the owner, maybe he's just the only one who's insured to drive it because he's the right. driving instructor. But it doesn't matter now because the car, that car is no longer He's switched cars yeah. already, yeah. The man whose car they stole at the car wash reports the theft to drunk Deputy Lester at the station. But that's the wrong county! Yeah, why would he call Why would he call Psycho a county? county over because they said they already left that county yeah. for his stolen car? Correct. It looks like Lester already set up a still at the police station to brew up some of his secret formula. As they drive through the desert, out of nowhere, Roscoe and Peggy Sue are making out, and the helicopter keeps swerving down to nearly collide with them, though this isn't the car of the man in the chopper. For some reason, the quarterback swerves around the sheriff and parks in the road to get his attention. The quarterback asks the sheriff where Roscoe and Peggy Sue might be because he intends to marry the girl, and the sheriff just repeatedly calls the quarterback an idiot and a jerk. That's the whole scene. I don't understand why he stopped the sheriff. Just follow the guy. He's already chasing them. You're going the right way. The quarterback asks God for a sign that he should keep chasing Roscoe, and we get a random insert of a car driving off the road. Unsure which car this is, or what exactly is happening, I assume on set they had no idea what the sign would be, and picked this clip at random. They were just like, do you have a shot of literally anything happening? It's going to be the sign that this guy should keep doing what he's doing. The drunk deputy gets a phone call from Sheik Abu Habib Bibubu, who's here to make a deal for the formula. Across the street from the phone booth the Sheik was using, a car pulls up to park, and then another one demolishes the driver's side of the car, certainly killing anyone who might have been in it. And I was pretty sure when we first heard the name that the joke was going to be that this, like, small-town hick doesn't understand how to say his name properly. But this is how this guy says his own name, yeah. too. Abu Habib Bibubu. These cars that just crashed into each other, by the way, are not relevant to the plot. Just a cool-looking accident that they cut into the scene because they had this accident on film. The cop and the quarterback are racing against each other side by side down a desert road and swerve around a tractor dragging a building down the street. It's not on a trailer or anything. It's a building sitting flat on the road and he's dragging it as quickly as you could possibly drag a building that was sitting flat in the street. A car coming the opposite direction swerves around the sheriff and quarterback and obviously plows right through the building in the road. The quarterback wrecks his truck off the road just as a pack of police cars find Roscoe and Peggy Sue. The whole car chase crashes through a local swap meet. The quarterback lays down on a dirt road and waits for a car to drive over him <laughs> so that he can commandeer it to get back to the chase. And I actually really like this shot. <laughs> I, I, I was like mentally like... Checking out checking already? Checking out of this film so much. And, and when this happened, I I was like, what? wait. What, what did I just miss? How did he get on the ground? Yeah. And, and I went back. I was like, he just lays down. He just ground? lays down on a dirt road and a car comes over the hill and just fucking flattens <laughs> the guy. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe they killed this character like that. And the guy gets out and he's like, I'm a doctor. And you think that he's going to have to like do something to fix him. But the quarterback's already standing. He's just like, hey, I need your car, man. But, but the doctor's like... <laughs> wearing a lab coat and a stethoscope while <laughs> yeah. he drives. The man's not willing to hand over his car, so the quarterback headbutts him into the dirt and then drives away. I've been had. Harold and his girlfriend Cindy are still bringing up the rear of this police chase, and Harold is teaching her how to escape a kidnapper. He suggests hiking up her skirt, and she does it higher and higher, but then, when Harold seems sufficiently distracted, she smacks him in the face for no reason, and his car is sent spinning off the road in lanes upside down, skidding down the street, because they had a shot of a brown car skidding upside down down the street, and they needed a way to get to that. But but you also have to remember that they have to recreate all the final endings of these right, yeah, car chases. So, You're not saving that much money. <laughs> yeah, so so they still have to get a car that matches somewhat, at and least. And flip it upside down in the street. Down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have made more sense for this guy to just crash because he was distracted by this girl. I don't understand why they had to make it blatantly her fault like she just punched him in the face. She was already pulling her skirt up. That was enough for me to understand that he flipped the car. And it would have been a funny character moment for this guy to be an idiot. Oh, Harold, I'm really sorry I, I hit you and made you wreck your car. That's okay. It wasn't my car. The two make out in the upside-down car. The police cars still chasing Roscoe keep randomly flipping themselves, and motorcycle cops are also randomly skidding off the road for no reason. The quarterback shows up again to face off with the sheriff and tries to muscle him off the road, but instead he just flips the new car that he just stole from the doctor. So now he's back in the market for another car. I have to say, 
I'm going to fully admit that I watched this in like two times speed. Yeah. Um, I think it was probably even more boring for you guys because, I mean, the car chases felt pretty good in two times speed. So were they kind of slow? The, they're going a little <laughs> slow, but yeah. the crashes are decent. And the first time I watched it, I didn't know about all the recycled footage. And I was like, you know what? I have to give this movie props because yeah. there's some really great crashes in here. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, that didn't come from this movie. Yeah, there were some right. decent crashes. Yeah. But like the chase footage felt, I'm like, okay, this feels good. But I was watching it in double speed. Right, yeah. You know what have been would have been a better movie than all this. I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself for the for like our closing statements. But a guy builds a theme park full of dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Danny and the Clonosaurus. Yeah, got it. <laughs> no, just just make an hour and a half of car, car stock wrecks. footage. Yeah, yeah. I I would have much rather have watched yeah, that. Just faces of death. You just wanted to watch that. But like, yeah. I think that there's a way to do movies like that. That are better. I mean, like the stuntman, or not the stuntman. Um, Red asphalt. What is the <laughs> stunt? Stunt rock. Stunt rock. Stunt rock was was not great, but better than this. Yeah. Did you guys have to watch Red Asphalt in uh, Driver's Ed? No, I never took Driver's Ed. Oh my Ed. god, that's pretty rough. I don't, don't know how to license. drive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to drive. I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I still haven't figured it out. Another police car drives full speed into a cinder block wall for no apparent reason again. We cut to Deputy Bentley peeing off the side of the road as he hears a siren approach, and he sticks his thumb out to hitchhike, but the kid in a van who he sold the siren to drives by, so obviously he doesn't stop for the deputy. Next, a police car rolls by and also doesn't stop, so he yells pig after the cop that didn't stop for him. The quarterback seems to have some significant brain damage and is now just shouting random football phrases while holding his thumb out on the side of the road. The sheriff watches for a while and then drives away like, hmm, interesting, anyway, bye. Dick Miller in the helicopter is still paying a pilot to follow cars that are not his. For some reason, he informs the police that Roscoe has switched cars again. I don't remember seeing this switch, so we must be learning about it from Dick Miller, same as the cops are. The sheriff is still following Roscoe in the car he stole from the neighboring police force and accidentally drives it under a box truck, shearing the top off. The accident looks deadly enough that another cop is already nauseous, assuming the sheriff has been yeah. decapitated, and stumbles toward the wreck, only to find him tucked into the back seat somehow. So, once again, they had to either find the car from that footage... Or chop the top off of a new car. Yeah. Yeah. The sheriff of Psycho County tries to assure the Nazi sheriff that this will be a cheap fix at the auto shop. At the Snake Lake truck... <clears throat> at the Snake Lake truck stop, Peggy Sue makes a quick brick trick stack. <laughs> God fucking damn it. <laughs> I can make a quick trick brick stack. I can make a quick trick block stack. I can make a truck stop snake lake. Snake lake licks and lakes duke duck likes. Chicks and blocks. <laughs> Bim comes, Ben comes. Bim bends, Bins broom. Bim bends, Ben's broom. Ben's bent broom breaks. Bim's bent broom breaks. I cannot believe you know most of that book. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I've only read it seven million times. At the Snake Lake truck stop, Peggy Sue distracts a driver while Roscoe heads out to steal the man's truck. Before they can steal the vehicle, a second passenger emerges from the back seat and chases them away from it. And then that should be the end of their confrontation with these people. There's, there's no reason to keep chasing the teenagers you caught trying to steal your truck once because they didn't successfully do it. For the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, these guys are on a schedule. <laughs> They're getting paid by the day. They need to get back on the road and ship some stuff and not follow these kids around. Yeah, but they had a bunch of footage of a truck following a car. I guess, yeah. <laughs> back at the decapitated police cruiser, the sheriff of Nazi threatens to arrest the sheriff of Psycho, but they beat each other up and the Psycho Sheriff runs for it. A little girl catches Roscoe trying to hotwire another vehicle out of a yard and offers to sell them the car for 10 packs of cigarettes. It's her dad's car, I guess. The sheriffs are now shooting back and forth at each other. The sheriff of Psycho commandeers a passing truck. Why? What happened? Cambodians landed at San Clemente. For some reason, he drives it away with a passenger who claims to be a mellow rabbi, played by the film's director, Charles B. Griffith. Oh, and he's also a terrible actor. Who in the hell are you? Mellow Rabbi is my name. Mellow Salvation is my game. The fuck does that mean? Roscoe pays the little girl with cigarettes and they skid away before the truckers can kill them. A little boy walks up to the girl with a lighter for her new cigarettes. Hey, baby. Need some fire? Sure, big boy. The sheriff of Psycho shows up and takes away their cigarettes, 
before asking if they've seen the kidnappers, and the girl demands money or her cigarettes back for the info. He hands her the cigarette pack, and she tells him the exact make and model of the car they left in. Once he has the info, he tries to snatch the cigarettes back, but she's too fast for him. But it's also like, just tell her to give them to you, because she did yeah. that willingly earlier. The sheriff catches up with the new car quickly, which is actually towing a boat as well, and he complains about how slow it is, even though he's towing a boat for no reason. Just cut... Get the boat off. Why'd you bring the boat if you wanted to go fast? The sheriff catches up and the two vehicles trade paint for a bit and then swerve off the road to crash through a garage and two gas pumps before leaving a massive explosion in their wake and then continuing through a billboard. The explosion was pretty good. It was great. Yeah, it looked like legitimately driving through a gas pump. Roscoe swerves so fast that the boat comes loose from his trailer hitch and knocks the sheriff's commandeered pickup off the road. It looks like they've already driven to another county, and another police cruiser pulls up to investigate the scene. The cop who steps out is a woman that the psycho sheriff seems to recognize as Nellie. Predictably, he jumps in her cruiser and drives away, but doesn't realize until a quarter mile down the road that she had another lady cop in the passenger seat. Like, I realize that we can't see that from the how front of the car, but the how car? do you get into a car in the front seat and not notice there's somebody leaning over next to you? Impossible. I think the patch on her uniform identifies this third county as the Belladonna County Police Department. Roscoe pulls up outside an antique shop and steals a nice antique car from out front. Again, though, they immediately report the theft to the sheriff, who resumes chase. So, again, there's no reason to trade cars yeah. because it's already been reported. So, at this point, I pause the movie <laughs> and saw that there was still 30 minutes yeah. left of this film. And I was like, what? First of all, how are there still 30 minutes left? And second of all, how are there only 30 minutes left? Because <laughs> nothing has happened. It's just a kid trading cars and a cop trading cars. That's everything that's happened. The real reason we keep changing vehicles and police cars is to match the car crash stock footage from several different movies. The newly stolen car and police cruiser blow through a construction zone and crash head-on into a truck carrying crates of chickens. Here we get one of the most blatant chicken kills that we've ever seen because as the cruiser pulls away, the tire passes over a moving chicken and then throws its corpse out the back, <laughs> clearly flattened. It's, it's, a, it's a tough yeah. watch. Yeah. But it was great. It was easier and fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> More cars crash into each other for a while. That's what I put for the next like 20 shots. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, those are my notes. I, I just have more driving. Roscoe and Peggy Sue drive to the top of a parking structure and then ramp off the roof only to come crashing through the ceiling of the neighboring Mercedes-Benz dealership. The car lands on the sales floor and then they drive through the front windows of the shop. The chase plows through a beachside burger joint out onto the sand. They scare away some topless sunbathers, knock over a lifeguard tower, the same shit you'd see in any car chase yeah. on a beach. But you don't see any of the toplessness. Yeah. It, like they're... they're what they're... happened, Roger? <laughs> yeah. You couldn't get another director on right. set real quick? <laughs> it's like for no reason, like someone's just getting <laughs> raped on the you. beach. Yeah. It's like I'm... car rapes them? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm so disappointed in you, Roger Corman. Of course, the sheriff's car ends up in the water and Roscoe drives away. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a sheriff jump his car over a fugitive <laughs> off of a land ramp into a body of water while the criminal he was chasing watched and then fled the scene? <laughs> was it literally white lightning? Yeah, just our watched? most recent record. <laughs> I was going to say, do you remember the last time we had a cop car on the beach? I'm going to assume Blood Beach. No, I don't think they ever had a cop car on the beach, did they? They did when they were investigating where people disappear okay uh i was gonna go with the blues brothers oh okay sure when they're like hey girls yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey you two girls <laughs> <laughs> sometime later we see the sheriff flag down a new department a pair of officers from paraquat county sheriff's department and they're dressed like federales with full-on bandoliers and mariachi music coming out of their cruiser radio paraquat is a pesticide used to kill marijuana plants which i only know from looking up the quote from big lebowski you you human paraquat <laughs> the nazi county sheriff the drunk deputy lester the smoker girl the almost carjacked truckers and several other minor characters are all sitting around a table at the snake lake truck stop they see roscoe drive by and hop in their cars to join the chase Deputy Bentley waits on the side of the road and tries to flag down a ride of any of the passing vehicles, but they all just splash mud in his face. You'd think he'd reposition himself after the first splash, but he intentionally stays in the same place to make sure he gets hit with mud each time. 
The sheriff spots Habib speeding in a Rolls Royce and thinks it's Roscoe for some reason, but Habib doesn't even know he's being followed. He drives over a ramp in a suburban neighborhood, and the sheriff follows him, but for some reason the police cruiser just explodes halfway up the ramp. It doesn't even land and then explode. <laughs> it explodes on its way up the ramp. Luckily, like, that wasn't just a hill on the road. Since trading cars doesn't seem to help, Roscoe and Peggy Sue make plans to steal a racing boat. Dick Miller's helicopter starts swooping down at Habib and the Rolls-Royce until all Habib's passengers start shooting at the helicopter. They all stop in at the Snake Lake truck stop where Roscoe and Peggy Sue arrive and steal the Rolls-Royce as Habib meets with the drunk deputy. Harold and his girlfriend pull over and kiss on the side of the road just as the quarterback shows up in a taxi. He tries to fight Harold but can't land any punches. I guess the whole time he thought Harold stole his girlfriend and not Roscoe, since they're both dressed as full-blown magicians with top and tails? Or is he mistaking Harold here for Roscoe? I, I don't know. <laughs> Either way, he's fighting the wrong magician. Yeah. We cut to some time later as Roscoe and Peggy Sue run down a dock to steal a boat. Peggy's dad, the psycho sheriff, shows up and crashes full speed into a parked car just as Roscoe realizes he can't steal this boat for some reason. They just turn around and walk back to the car that they drove here in. But didn't the psycho sheriff's car just explode on a ramp yep a second ago sure and then the car is working again and he crashes it again yeah psycho sheriff cascase a boo ba bee bob that's the guy trying to buy the formula a boo a boo 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 a on the shore of Snake Lake, Lester, the drunk deputy, meets with Habib and his henchmen. They provide him with one million clams as requested in exchange for the formula. They dump one of the bags on the floor to prove its contents, and it's actual clams that spill out into the dirt. Nowadays, clams cost more than a buck each, so a million clams is actually worth more than a million dollars. Yeah. But the drunk deputy is very upset by the misunderstanding. And also, there's very clearly fewer than a million clams in yeah. these two pillowcases. <laughs> like, that's like 200 clams. I'm not a fucking idiot. But even, like, even adjusted for inflation, I think that clams would probably have been around a dollar or maybe 50 cents back in... 1981 but you're not accounting for the cost of business and selling them too because they're they spoil but all i'm yeah all i'm saying is this is equivalent to the same amount of money right so i mean the problem is you couldn't fit a million clams in a rolls royce in the first that's place probably true. you couldn't fit a million clams in a blimp like that's a fucking lot of clams <laughs> <laughs> why would you put it in a blimp why wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm confused. But are you talking about the inside, like the balloon part of the blimp? You don't carry stuff in there anyways. You carry no. it in the little basket underneath. Yeah, the basket part. That's like the size of a Rolls Royce. <laughs> right. Unless it's the Hindenburg. Well, okay. Fair enough. It but will Hindenburg, fit. Yeah, the Hindenburg is, but that's a rigid airship. Yeah. <laughs> is there a difference between a blimp and a rigid airship? Uh, the blimp, in a, in a blimp, the sack is actually literally empty. <laughs> like it's, it's, just, it's just filled with gas. It's a balloon. Yeah. But a rigid airship has a, a frame, framework, and individual sacks sealed off. But if you hit one of those icebergs in the sky <laughs> yeah. and it tears along through all the sacks, then you're fucked. <laughs> what part of inflammable are you not understanding? <laughs> Obviously the core concept. <laughs> but the clams are cooked perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Or they were back when they left the Middle East and then oh. they got on a plane for two days. This is more interesting than the movie, by the way. <laughs> what we're talking about, this nonsense that we're talking about. Hey, I've learned something today. I've learned what a rigid airship is. When he tries to back out of the deal, Habib threatens to cut off the drunk deputy's head. Roscoe and Peggy Sue stumble across the scene, but first they notice a sign that reads Piranha Crossing, and they see the skeletons of two dead sunbathers who were presumably eaten by schools of fish that swum out onto land. Yeah. <laughs> which, which... I was thinking was something was going to happen later in the movie for the for the final oh shot God, of the yeah. scene of the film. I was if like, there's oh my God. crossing here. You should not be in this water. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They forgot their own joke. I mean, joke is a strong word. <laughs> gag? Gag. That's I, did, I did gag. No. Well, yeah. That's why they call it that. Bentley interrupts the execution of drunk Deputy Lester, so Bentley's head is placed on the chopping block beside him. Roscoe sneaks up and steals one of Habib's automatic weapons and demands the release of Lester and Bentley. 
The quarterback interrupts the scene by tackling Roscoe to the dirt, and Habib and his men get their gun back. Look what you did, buddy. Well, was I was supposed to know you was being attacked by pirates. <laughs> Is this the only laugh in the movie? I think that might be the only laugh in the movie, right? Uh, the- no, mine was him getting run over. <laughs> okay, sure. But both both of the funny things that happen are from this jock character. Yeah. yeah. Peggy Sue feigns an injury, and when Habib checks on her, she bites his hand, and then Lester sneaks up and takes the gun back. Bentley tries to steal the gun from Lester because he's still quote-unquote under arrest, and then Roscoe has to take it from both of them. Suddenly, the sheriff comes walking up out of the water behind everyone. Here we could have used that the Jaws sound alike again. Yeah. He shoots the gun out of Roscoe's hand, and the Nazi sheriff shoots the gun out of the psycho sheriff's hand. Now, this is funny because things keep changing. Yeah. And that's funny inherently. Habib and his friends get their gun back again and put the Nazi sheriff's head on the chopping block with the other two. The smoker kids watch everything happen from the tree line. A fight breaks out, and a great many things happen in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Until suddenly, everyone's making up. Habib and Bentley decide to accept each other as brothers. Everybody is toasting everyone with drinks. One of the lady cops starts making out with the quarterback. Roscoe knocks Harold to the sand, and Harold's girlfriend begs him not to die. Uh, he'll be all right. Oh, Come on, Peggy. Please don't die. Okay. They kiss, and Roscoe and Peggy Sue just wander out into the water. Yeah, and I'm assuming that the quarterback is a minor. Yeah. And this is an adult woman who is a police officer. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Yep. All checked. (laughs) (laughs) Corman approved. (laughs) Roscoe and Peggy Sue just wander out into the water. They decide to swim from here to another city, but the psycho sheriff emerges from the water between them, having handcuffed himself to Roscoe. The sheriff laughs, and we dissolve to a string out of all the car crash footage that got recycled into the plot of this film. The end. Woof. Smokey bites the dust. This is the film that almost killed the Smokey and the Bandit franchise until people realized that it wasn't related and also that that franchise was already dead. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't make any more of them. Smokey 3 doesn't count. It's already dead. Yeah. that's uh, I, Honestly, I would rather watch this, though, than Smokey and the Bandit 3. Unless we're talking Smokey is the Bandit, and then obviously that's number one of the whole franchise. Anyway, that was Smokey Bites the Dust. And it's pretty rough. But, but he won. Who Smoke, won? Smokey won. He doesn't bite the dust. Well, that's true. <laughs> Why did he win? I don't know. What What uh, kind of a Smokey movie ends with Smokey on top? It's not supposed to happen. I feel like the only character who had an arc in this movie is Lester. Like, like What is his arc? He wanted the thing and he, then he got cheated out of it? Yeah, but yeah. he doesn't change. He's the same guy at the true. end. He's still drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Days later. Yeah, yeah, this movie is... I I have nothing to say. I really have nothing to say about thumbs this Thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down. Thumbs down. But it's on YouTube. Watch it. Or, the audio will cut out a couple times. You can but, watch it in double speed if you want. Yeah, do that. What are we thinking Letterboxd? <sighs> I think it doesn't deserve to be on this list. Wow. I don't actually have it at the bottom. I know. <laughs> There's no way you have it at the bottom. It's not at the bottom, but it's, it's close. Bad, but... It's close. It's his. 129 out of 134. Uh, it is below So Fine, and I'm sorry, because for some reason you like this movie, Above Student Bodies. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're going to watch Student Bodies again no! someday. No! That movie was so Change obnoxious. to our couch, and then you're going to be like, oh, this is not as bad as Smokey Bites the Dust. I feel bad. Until you unlock the handcuffs, and then I'm going to be like, it's terrible. And then I'm <laughs> <laughs> You just disappear. <laughs> yeah. I have Smokey Bites the Dust at 126. Which, out of 134. Out of 134, which puts it below Just a Gigolo and above Secondhand Hearts, only because I couldn't remember what Secondhand Hearts was about. <laughs> I know that movie well, and I don't. I'm not sure what it's I about. I think Secondhand Hearts. Well, I don't know what it's about, but I right. remember the one. It said the curly blonde haired lady and the guy who had a weird name. No. no, what am I thinking of? You're thinking of Coast to Coast, maybe? No. The woman is not blonde in Secondhand Hearts. But the the she the guy marries the girl with the kids. Yep. And they're stuck together. Uh-huh. She's not blonde. No, she has like red hair. Yeah, I remember this one. This was, and the, and I felt really bad because that that was. It's Barbara I, Harris, right? Yeah, it was, and it was a Hal, Hal Ashby film too. 
Robert Blake and Barbara Harris? Uh, Robert Blake for sure. Oh my god, look at this picture. She is blonde. It is Barbara Harris. (laughs) 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 Richard just about spit his coffee out. (laughs) Oh, you bastard. (laughs) Anyway, so I was right. (laughs) I knew it was coming, too. Like, he's going to say it, but it's too late. I've already taken a sip. I guess I'm thinking of a different movie. Coast to Coast, probably. <laughs> she's also blonde in that one. No, she's not in Coast to Coast. No, the other lady is yes, blonde. Yeah, that's true. I rank this movie 131 out of 134. Well, you loved it. Uh, what? That's the lowest of the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's under the Bushido Blade and just above Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. <laughs> oh... I actually feel bad about that, but that's where it goes. No, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I'm moving it down one. Whoa! It, it's <laughs> it's under Choo Choo and the Philly Flash, and just above Just a Gigolo, because I wow. I would actually wow. watch Choo Choo before this. Why do you guys hate Just a Gigolo so much? I don't know if you've seen that movie, but <laughs> definitely have. You made me watch it. <laughs> oh yeah, forgot about that. I'm trying to write over that portion. Our director here was Charles B. Griffith. He previously wrote A Bucket of Blood and Little Shop of Horrors for Roger Corman. He also wrote Wild Angels, Devil's Angels, and has a collaboration credit on Barbarella. And he wrote Death Race 2000 before writing and directing Eat My Dust, and so far on the show, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. Griffith also retains credits on recent remakes of Little Shop of Horrors, Bucket of Blood, and The Death Race films. His final credits are for writing and directing Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2 in 1989. He also appears in this film as the Mellow Rabbi. Or maybe as Mellow Rabbi. Maybe the character's name was Mellow Rabbi. Didn't quite get it. The other writer was Max Apple. Later he writes The Air Up There. (laughs) That's the only other notable credit. Yeah, Um, I think he was actually talented because he was the one who came up with the idea of, well, this policeman keeps stealing other police cars to match this footage. And that was kind of brilliant. Um, as a way to recycle footage. The other story credit goes to Brian Williams. This is his only credit. Nothing else I could find. Music here is from Bent Midgen. The person's name is Bent Midgen. Is that an anagram? <laughs> <laughs> it's a. It's an anagram for a dragon conduct. <laughs> what? Uh, he performs the theme song for Hooper in the movie Hooper. Cinematographer here was Gary Graver. He has 146 almost exclusively porn directing credits. We've also covered one of his titles for a minisode, specifically The Attic, which was not porn. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to (laughs) ask. I know you guys don't listen to the minisodes. It's not porn. (coughs) He was also the DP for our Patreon review of Dracula vs. Frankenstein last year, and he later DPs Invasion of the Bee-Girls, The Clones, Ron Howard's Grand Theft Auto, The Toolbox Murders, Fred Olin Ray and Jim Wynorski's Dinosaur Island, which I love, and Orson Welles is The Other Side of the Wind. The editor here was Larry Bach. He cut Avalanche, Rock and Roll High School, and so far on the show Alligator and the recent Galaxy of Terror last week. Later he cuts Breakin', Rambo 2, Critters, Bill and Ted 1, Mighty Ducks, The Santa Claus, Bring It On, some Sarah Silverman episodes, and some Community episodes. Alan Holtzman, uncredited for editing, previously cut Cloud Dancer and Battle Beyond the Stars. Jimmy McNichol played Roscoe Wilton. He's back next as Billy Lynch in Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, and he is the brother of Christy McNichol from Little Darlings. Yeah. And Why Would I Laugh? What the fuck is that movie called? Only When, Only I-, when I Laugh. Janet Julian played Peggy Sue Turner. She's back next as Sandy Ralston in Humongous. Walter Barnes played Sheriff Turner. He's Charlie in Rio Bravo, Sheriff Purdy in Escape to Witch Mountain, Ranger Tucker in Day of the Animals, Sheriff Sam Shaw in High Plains Drifter, Captain in Pete's Dragon, Tank Murdoch in Every Which Way But Loose, and we've seen him so far as Sheriff Dix in Bronco Billy. This was his last feature film appearance. Carrie Lizer played Cindy. That's Harold's girlfriend. This is her first film. She's back next as Rita in Private School from the makers of Private Lessons. Later, she moved behind the camera as a regular writer on the Weird Science television series, and then Will and Grace. 
She created the Julia Louis-Dreyfus series, The New Adventures of Old Christine, and later she created a new series called Call Your Mother, which is still currently running. John Blythe Barrymore played Harold, that's the best friend magician. He's back soon as a student in Full Moon High and later as a mad doctor in Trick or Treats. He is the older brother of actress Drew Barrymore. He was offered the part of Eddie Munster on The Munsters, but his mom said no, and he has thanked her for protecting him from a career as a child actor which he admits would have been bad for him. More recently, he's best known for his appearance in an hour-long episode of Fatal Farm Garfield parody web series Lasagna Cat, wherein John Blythe Barrymore spends the entire hour-long episode describing a three-panel Garfield strip. What? This particular episode of Lasagna Cat has been cited as an inspiration for the Too Many Cooks sketch, <laughs> because it goes on for so long and he keeps it very serious. Speaking of... Too Many Cooks creator Casper Kelly also recently released a Yule Log special for Adult Swim that I haven't watched yet, but I guess it starts as one of those Yule Log broadcasts and then evolves into a horror film. <laughs> Not unlike Too Many Cooks. Kedrick Wolf played Deputy Bentley. We saw him last season in the double role of Miss Feldman the school teacher and Human Chandelier in Richard Elfman's Forbidden Zone. That's the tall deputy was the human chandelier okay. from Forbidden Zone. I didn't recognize him. No, I kind of did. William Forsyth played Kenny. We saw him as Big Tom in King of the Mountain earlier this season. Later, he's Cockeye in Once Upon a Time in America, Morris in Cloak and Dagger. But the first part I always think of is one of High's old cellmates, Evel, brother of John Goodman's Gale in Raising Arizona. He's also Flat Top in Dick Tracy and Sheriff Weidel, or Whittle, in The Devil's Rejects. Charles Howerton played Sheriff Bleed, which I think is the Nazi sheriff. He previously showed up in the same director's Eat My Dust, and before for the show, he was in Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. Mel Wells played Abu Habib Bibubu. He was Gravis Mushnick in the 1960 Little Shop of Horrors, the part taken over by Vincent Gardenia in the 86 remake. Mel Wells is also in Dr. Heckle, Mr. Hype, and he comes back later as Cook in Chopping Mall. Michael Green played Tall Arab, he was Dr. Gerald Appleby in The Clones, Lacey in Batteries Not Included, and he also played George Bush in Cyrus Narasta's The Day Reagan Was Shot. Dick Miller played Glenn Wilson. He's Walter Paisley in a bunch of stuff. He's in almost every Joe Dante movie. Which one isn't he in? Um, he had a scene cut from something. I'm trying to think of what it, what it would be. He shot something for it, but he wasn't in it. I think it's one of the... I can't remember. I think there is one, though. Uh, maybe it's like Amazon Women on the Moon or something probably probably something yeah. like that because he's because he's even in the joe dante directed like uh police squad episode yeah and like masters of horror probably even he's also in a deleted scene from tarantino's pulp fiction that you can find on youtube where he plays the father of the julia sweeney character at the junkyard but it's not a great scene so i understand why they cut it but i still like him we've seen him so far in happy hooker goes hollywood used cars the howling and dr heckle and mr hype and he's back later this season for heart beeps linda gary played woman sheriff she was actually married to Charles Howerton, who played Sheriff Bleed in the film. She also voiced Tila and Evil Lynn on He-Man Masters of the Universe and Grandma Spike in the Land Before Time series. Adriana Shaw played the other woman deputy. She was Dr. Antonini in Altered States at the end of last season. Rance Howard was the football coach. He's the father of Ron and Clint. He's an old Western regular who shows up in most of his son's films. And oh, by I, his son, I mean Clint Howard. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I was actually surprised that he was in this that he was in this but. i don't know he, he i think he does a lot of stuff for roger corman actually that you wouldn't expect him to beach dickerson played band director that's the guy with a baton who's directing band but none of the kids have instruments and they're all just talking uh he played gi jackson in eat my dust robert beecher played principal stark he was ribs mocha in dick tracy and a referee in barton fink we saw him as a hobo in american pop earlier this season Nancy Parsons played Harold's mother. We've seen her so far in Where the Buffalo Roam, Motel Hell, and Honky Tonk Freeway, and she's back this season in Pennies from Heaven, and later probably her most famous role as Ball Bricker in the Porky's movies. Dan Sturkey played Bellhop. That's the guy who they wake up to take the people to their rooms. We've seen him so far in Cruising, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype, Wolfen, and a pair of minisodes this year in Captive and PSI Factor. Angelo Rosito played Desk Clerk. He was Angelino in Freaks and an evil dwarf in the original Tarzan the Ape Man in 1932. He's a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. We've seen him so far in Galaxina, Can't Stop the Music, 
and as a ticket taker in Dracula vs. Frankenstein, and later we'll see him as the master of Master Blaster fame in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Tony Cox played the desk clerk. This is the one who follows them toward the pool where the yeah. bellhop takes their pictures. This is his fourth credit after Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hype, Nice Dreams, and Under the Rainbow, all of which we've covered this season. In 1982, he shows up in another Jekyll and Hyde called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again. He's an Ewok in Return of the Jedi and the Ewok TV movies. He plays a dink in Spaceballs. He's the preacher in Beetlejuice. He's a Vonkar warrior in Willow. Apparently, he plays Station, or a part of Station, uncredited in Bogus Journey, and he's in Leprechaun 2, but he's probably best known for his parts in Bad Santa as Billy Bob Thornton's elf, or the biological father of Jim Carrey's kids in Me, Myself, and Irene. Jessica Griffith played Little Girl, I'm guessing she's related to director Charles B. Griffith, because she also showed up in his last film. She was the policeman's daughter in our Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype minisode. Tita Brocky played Cleaning Lady, she was a party guest in Last Married Couple in America and a Xanadu dancer in Xanadu, yes. Later, she shows up as Calamity Jane in Hocus Pocus. Who's Calamity Jane in Hocus Pocus? Is that a Halloween costume at the it party? It must be. Yeah. Gene LaBelle played Turk. He's a famous stuntman who just passed away in August of this year. We've seen his work so far in Bronco Billy, Airplane, Battle Creek Brawl, Any Which Way You Can, and Inside Moves. He's perhaps best known for an incident involving Steven Seagal. Seagal had made the claim that he was immune to a sleeper hold and invited LaBelle to attempt one on him, at which point he was promptly choked out and shit himself profusely. Mickey Fox played Miss 1940. She previously showed up in Eat My Dust from the same director. We've seen her now in Blood Beach, where she operated a little sandwich shop near the beach. She was also in Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype and Nice Dreams. And she's back next in either Human Highway or Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, depending on exact release dates. Ben Frommer played Caesar Camaro. <laughs> Caesar Camaro? <laughs> I, I just saw that credit just now. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't even get that joke before. I don't think they say it in the movie either. We saw him last as Sergeant Gernisht Hilfen in Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype and Palumbo in American Pop. He's back later as Sexton in Psycho 2 and Male Patron in Scarface. I think that's everything for Smokey Bites the Dust. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Enter the Ninja, which IMDb describes like so. After passing a ninja master test in Japan, Cole visits a war buddy in the Philippines. He helps him fight men who want his buddy's plantation. We leave you now with a trailer for Enter the Ninja. The first martial art to sweep the modern world was Jiu-Jitsu, closely followed by the discipline of Karate. Then we were taught to combine the spiritual with the physical by the masters of Kung Fu. And now, the Canon Group is proud to introduce the practitioner of the oldest and ultimate martial art, the Ninja. Enter the Ninja. This gold is your license as a master of Ninjutsu. Starring Franco Nero. Exploding into action as Cole, the White Ninja. Give him a message for me. Yeah? I don't like to be followed. I love it here. It's become my home. And nobody, nobody is going to drive us away. Susan George is the proud and beautiful Marianne. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. And introducing Sho Kosugi. Kampai! Kampai! Hasegawa, the black ninja, born of samurai blood, is unable to accept anything but the ancient ways. You did not drink Hasegawa. He is no ninja. It's the lamb code. They want to take it away from us. Bitter and merciless, this rogue ninja will stop at nothing to destroy any and all who cross his path. Ninja. Hired assassins, trained killers, masters of the most deadly art known to man. Oh, 
Take on a ninja, no matter how many you are. Be prepared for the consequences. Enter the ninja from Canon.